that song, um, I asked uh, Jenna to sing that this morning, because um, as I was kind of going through this week and getting ready for the message, and and uh, I, I had an original message, matter of fact, that's what I told Chuck I was going to be preaching, a uh, message called The Cradle, the Cross, the Crown, and I just kind of felt led the last couple days um, not to do that. And uh, this particular passage of scripture has been on my heart all week, and it's the exact story of that song that you just heard. That, that song is based off an actual event. And the event is actually recorded in, in several different gospels, but we're gonna look in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm gonna ask if you would open with me the word of God and turn to Matthew chapter 28. We are, um, today is Easter Sunday, and Easter, in a very unique way, uh, not stand yet, I'm sorry, did I say stand? Just open, just open, we're going to get to the stand part in a little bit, um, but today is Easter, and in a very unique way, um, Easter brings us to a crisis of belief, because Easter is the day where we are confronted with the conclusion of the greatest story that's ever been told to us, a story that started 33 years prior to the event we're going to talk about when there was this child born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger that had angels attending and had um, shepherds visiting and, and all these wonderful things. Matter of fact, the angel's proclamation to the shepherds was... Um, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for today in the city of David, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. And when that event started about 30 years after that, we don't have a lot about what happened in those first 30 years of Christ's life. We have some. But after about 30 years, he starts his earthly ministry where he begins to call disciples, where he begins to teach uh, truths that the world had never heard before. He, he begins to to make these uh, amazing claims of resurrection. He begins to make amazing claims that he is the very son of God. As a matter of fact, he, he makes claims that he is God, and, and he does it for about three years. He, he performs many miracles. People are healed. Uh, blind become able to see. The deaf are able to hear. And, and he, he even raises a friend of his from the dead. And all these things are transpiring over the course of about three years. And at the end of these three years, Jesus, uh, this child who was born in this manger, is brought uh, and is rested after being betrayed by a friend. And he is brought to, uh, to the judge, and he is um, not wanting to be found guilty by the judge, but the, the people wanted Jesus crucified. And so Scripture tells us that, that after the trial, Jesus was scourged he was beaten he was whipped um, he was a, a, a purple robe was placed on him a crown of thorns was placed on his head and he was made to carry his cross to Golgotha he got so he was so beaten and so tired at some point along the way he couldn't he couldn't even carry his cross anymore so they had to enlist a guy by the name of, of Simon or Simeon to come and to take the cross and carry it the rest of the way and he's brought to this place called Golgotha, which is known as the skull. And he is laid on a, on, a, on a cross, and his arms are stretched out, and he is viciously nailed to this cross, and his feet are tied down and viciously nailed to the cross, and he is raised up to be crucified. 
And Scripture tells us that while he is on the cross, he, he tells some, some things, he says some things, but um, a, after so many hours on the cross, the Romans come by and they, they, they pierce him with a spear. And the Bible says that when he was pierced with a spear, blood and water just flowed out of his side. And, and then Scripture says that Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he dies. And he's taken off a cross, and he is placed in a borrowed tomb, the tomb that was belonged and owned by a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And he is taken off the cross, and he's taken hastily into the cross, he's, or into the tomb. He's prepared as best they could for burial. And this tomb is sealed with a stone. As a matter of fact, it's not just rolled in front of the stone. The Bible says that, that the Jewish people went to Pilate and asked him to submit guards and to seal it. And so Pilate had the tomb sealed, which meant it would have been strapped down and tied down. It also would have been sealed with a seal of the Roman uh, government, and to break that seal would mean death. And if he sent guards in that day and age, a Roman guard or a Roman garrison guard was 16 strong. Four-hour shifts, so someone, four people were awake at all times, and so this tomb is, is sealed, and Jesus is in there, and the guards are guarding it, and the disciples, they fled, and then all of a sudden on the third day, which was the first day of the week, the women came to the tomb. And when they get to the tomb, they see that the stone has been moved out of the way and the Bible says and what we're going to read in Matthew 28 brings us to the very conclusion of that greatest story that Easter brings us to and when we come to the end of this message or when we come to the conclusion which we're about to read it always leads us to this very important question and the question is simply do you believe do you believe that's a question that for over 2,000 years the world has been confronted with. And so if you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read the first eight verses. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning to find the very conclusion of this story after Jesus has been laid in the tomb and sealed for three days. The women early on the first day of the week. Scripture says this in Matthew chapter 28 verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb, and he rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, Do not be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. In just a few moments as we examine your word, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase and your words would be shared this morning with power 
And that, Father, that you would, they, these words would find the place you have for them in the lives of the people that are here. Father, that we would respond in obedience is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. The conclusion of this greatest story that's ever been told, which is the story of Jesus, ends differently than the conclusion of every other story of every other person that's ever lived. Because when we tell the story of any person that's lived, it always ends in one way. And that is with them being buried after dying. But the story of Jesus, though it looked like ended on Friday, when they removed him from the cross and placed him in a borrowed tomb, Jesus' story didn't end there. Jesus' story doesn't end until three days later. When Scripture says that after three days, when the women was there, they found a, an open tomb and an empty tomb. And Jesus had risen from the grave. That brings us to a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, this morning as we talk about this, I want to show you a couple things and then we're going to come back and examine that very important question but the first thing I want you to see from our text and from what we know is there are two indisputable facts. There are two indisputable facts. Number one, the first indisputable fact is this. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. That's what we know. Now, I want you to, to, to know this. The angel tells them in verse 6 that he is not here, and he even says, come and see the place where he lay. And we read that they went in, and they saw that he was not there, that the tomb was empty. The, the, and then they hurry off to tell the disciples. And then if we read another version, we find out that when they told the disciples, only two disciples, well, none of them believed it, but only two of them got up and went and looked for themselves, and that was John and Peter. And they both run to the tomb. John outruns Peter, but Peter goes in first to find the same exact thing, an empty tomb. But here's what I want you to know about the empty tomb. The empty tomb is agreed upon by everyone, by everyone involved in this story. The disciples say they saw an empty tomb. The Jews who had him crucified agree that the tomb was empty. The Romans who put Jesus on the cross, because they were the only ones that could put him there and crucified him, agree that the tomb was empty. Now, they all believe differently as to why the tomb is empty, but they all believe the tomb was empty. As a matter of fact, you can go to this day, you can go to Jerusalem, and you can go to the place where many people believe is the very place where Jesus was buried, and guess what? It's still empty. That's why we know that the tomb is empty. That, that's indisputable. Now, there, there are a lot of things about this. It's, it's agreed upon, but I want you to know this. The tomb is empty despite the precautions that were taken to keep him there. I've always found it interesting that the only ones who were really concerned about what might happen to Jesus' body were the ones who didn't like him. The disciples weren't even looking for a resurrection, even, told him he, even though he told them he was going to be raised. They were hiding. They fled. 
They were weeping. They were mourning. They were not looking for a resurrection at all. It was the Jewish priests who were worried about what might happen to Jesus' body. So they went to, to Pilate and said, hey, we're worried they might come do something with the body. So would you seal this tomb to make sure no one can get in there and take it? I always thought that was interesting. The ones that were most concerned about what might happen to Jesus' body were the ones that put him in the grave. And they took many precautions to see that he stayed there. I mean, you can look at lots of things. You can look at the, the guard. I already mentioned that this morning about there would have been about 16. There would have been 16 of them, four awake at all times. You could have saw the fact that it was sealed, and to break that seal meant certain death. You would also know that a garrison guard by the Romans, if they failed at their job, that was certain death as well. As a matter of fact, that's what when they bribed, when the Jewish uh, priest bribed the soldiers to say that the disciples come and stole his body. He even says, if you're going to get in trouble, let us know and we will get you out of trouble. Because it would definitely going to get them in trouble. And so we, we could look at that. We could look at how big the stone was. We could look at all these different things. But the fact of the matter is they took precautions to keep that tomb sealed and to keep it filled with whoever was in there. Yet three days later, the tomb was empty. And the tomb was empty also, despite the fact that the disciples weren't expecting it to be empty. When these women who Jenna just sang about, and we just read about, when they found an empty tomb, they ran back to the disciples to tell them about it. And the scripture tells us in the book of Luke that they thought they were crazy. Matter of fact, Luke says, it, they, they recorded as saying the disciples thought it was nonsense. But Peter and John got up to go look for themselves. Now, all the other disciples were like, that's crazy. There was the, Everybody agrees, even the gospel accounts agree, that the early disciples were not expecting Jesus to be raised. That's not what they expected. They were disheartened. They were brokenhearted. They were scared. They were not excited. They were not joyful. They were burdened, and they were hiding, and they were depressed. So despite the efforts of his enemies, and despite the lack of expectation of his followers, the tomb was empty. That's indisputable. The fact of an empty tomb is indisputable. The second indisputable fact is what many people would say is disputable. And that's what the angel said in verse 6. Look at it in verse 6. It says, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. The second indisputable fact is that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, there are a lot of people who say that's very disputable. Matter of fact, for over 2,000 years, there's been a lot of excuses given to why the tomb was empty that would try to argue the fact of Jesus being raised from the dead. I I've heard many. Here here's a few of them. Some say, well... You know, it's disputable because it's possible that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He, he just basically passed out from all the pain, and, and they took him off the cross, and they, they put him in a tomb. But while he was there, he kind of wakes up and, 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 and just comes out of the tomb and fools everyone. That's one theory. The problem with that theory is it doesn't take any of the historical accounts of what happened to Jesus into play. Number one, Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. Number two, he couldn't even carry his own cross. And how in the world was he going to break a stone away by himself after being crucified and pierced with an arrow? 
or a spear. No, I mean, the idea that Jesus didn't pass out. Oh, and, and, and remind you of this as well. The Romans were experts at killing. Crucifixion was designed to be the most anguishing, terrible punishment that would lead to certain death. And they were experts at what they did. So the fact to say that, oh, they didn't really, Jesus didn't die, that's like saying an expert executioner didn't see a body and thought, oh, he's dead, when actually he was just passed out. Number two, when they did prepare the body of Jesus, he was wrapped and prepped for funeral. And if you know anything about that preparation, the materials on the outside that were wrapped around him would have been layered in some certain things that would harden up and basically become like a cocoon that weighed about 100 pounds, and he would have been stuck in there. And I don't know about you, but I've been kind of wrapped in some things before. I won't go into that story. But I've been wrapped in some things before that didn't weigh anywhere near 100 pounds, and I couldn't break out of it. So the idea that Jesus didn't just die, that he just passed out, and then somehow miraculously was able to undo all of this after being crucified just as nonsense. There, there's another theory out there. The disciples stole his body. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then they gave their lives for a lie. I read this the other day. You want to know why I know the resurrection happened? Watergate. Watergate. Twelve men involved in Watergate and couldn't keep a lie together to save their life for a few weeks. And you're going to tell me these 12 men put this lie together and held it together for years and years and years and gave their lives for that lie? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I stole his body. Oh, we're going to kill you because of that. Okay, kill me. Yeah, that, I mean, come on. Really? Some say the Jews stole his body. Well, that's plausible except for one tiny, tiny issue. If the Jews stole his body, all they had to do to quiet the crowd when they said he's rose is wheel out a dead Jesus. End of story. Christianity gone. Oh, you say he rose from the dead? Here, look at him. He don't look like he's alive to me. Easily could have disproved it. They didn't do that because they couldn't find the body. Some even say that they, well, the, the, it was a mass hallucination. Okay, now, that's really difficult to square with the reality of human nature because visions and hallucinations tend to be intensely personal, and two people rarely have a vision that's even similar, let alone identical. So you got problems there. And then one of the other theories is the early church fabricated the story. Again, why would they die for a lie? Why would they be tortured for a lie? And then how do you explain the unanimous testimony that Jesus rose from the dead by not just the disciples, but according to Paul, by over 500 people that saw Jesus alive? So there are a lot of theories, but none of those theories stack up to the evidence. Here's what we do know. Here's the evidence. We know, number one, the Romans were experts at killing. Okay, that, that kind of takes that one out of play. You, they're experts at killing. They're good at what they do. There's no way that Jesus got off that cross alive. He was dead. 
We know, number two, the disciples didn't expect the, re uh, the resurrection. They, don't, they even said that, they don't, they, that before the crucifixion and even after, they weren't expecting Jesus to be rose from the dead. Also, here's a short problem. The women saw him first, according to Scripture. The Scripture I read this morning, Matthew 28, the first ones to go to the empty tomb were the women. And there were many of them, by the way, not just Mary and Mary. That's what, who's mentioned here. If you look in Luke, there's about five or six or maybe even more women who went to the tomb first. That we, we kind of just look at that and, and, realize, and we don't realize the emphasis of that. In that culture, women's testimony meant nothing. Nothing. Like, I can't say that stronger. Women were not viewed as reliable testimony witnesses for anything. Your word, sorry women, but your word in that culture was worth nothing. So no writer writing a fictional account would have put that detail in there because no one would have believed it. The only reason why someone would write, and all four Gospels attest that the first people to see Jesus, the empty tomb, was the women. The only reason why the four Gospels would write that is because it's true. And they wanted to tell the story accurately. And so you have that problem. You have the problem that the body was never found. The Jews never found the body. The Romans never found the body. The disciples, they never found a dead body. They found a living body, but they never found a dead body, not once. The body has never, ever, ever been found. Never. And the reason why the body's never been found is because the body's not here. The scripture tells us that he appeared to many people. Now, if you look at the scriptures, I mean, there are a lot of people that he, he talked to, and there's so many people that he appeared to that you can't, just you can't just dismiss it and say, oh, that's all made up. As a matter of fact, 30 years after the resurrection, 30 years after Jesus rose from the grave, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and he tells them the story of Jesus' resurrection and who he appeared to, and then he makes this statement, and about 500 others many of whom are still alive, bear witness to the testimony of the resurrection. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth saying, listen, if you have people that don't believe in the resurrection, send them back to Jerusalem. There's over 500 people that saw him alive that will testify to what they saw. So you have a problem with the eyewitnesses, and eyewitness accounts are pretty powerful. We, we also have the evidence that the disciples were utterly transformed. We know that the disciples went from scared and mourning and sad to becoming vibrant and joyful and unafraid. Peter, who, who stood just the, the night of Jesus' um, trial, betrayed his Savior three times because he was afraid of what might happen if he said, yes, I'm with Jesus. That same Peter... After meeting the resurrected Lord, and after the day of Pentecost, which come about 40 days later, Peter preached the first message of the gospel. And he demands the people, the people said, what must we do? And he demands that they repent of their sin. The same Peter who denied Jesus proclaimed Jesus to the same people. That's a pretty powerful transformation to go from being utterly afraid to utterly not afraid. And he's not the only transformation we have. All of the disciples, all of them, 
utterly transformed from being saddened and disheartened to being vibrant and joyful. We also know that the, the resurrection has been the centerpiece of the preaching starting in the book of Acts and working to today of the church. The preaching of the resurrection has always been the centerpiece of true Christianity. And we also know that the disciples and many other followers of Christ were killed for their testimony of the resurrection. When you look at all of these evidences, they point to just one logical conclusion. And that one logical conclusion, no matter how crazy it sounds, is the same thing that the angel said to the women in verse 6. And that is, he is not here, for he has risen just as he said. And that brings us to the question, do you believe? And that's an inescapable question you have to answer for yourself. Do you believe in the resurrection? That question has, the world has had to deal with that question ever since that first Easter morning. And again, in Mark and Luke's account of the event, they both tell us that upon the women returning from the news of the resurrection, they didn't believe it. As a matter of fact, they felt like it was nonsense. What about you today? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Or is this just a bunch of nonsense? There are many theories out there to why the tomb was empty. There's enough theories out there that have swayed a lot of people to believing there's no way that Jesus rose from the grave. But there's a lot of evidence out there that points that there's only one logical conclusion when you look at all of that, and that is that Jesus did rise from the grave. But do you believe that? In John chapter 11, Jesus is talking to Martha, uh, Lazarus' sister, and Martha's upset because Lazarus died. And he makes this statement to her in Luke or in John chapter 10. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks you the same question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, Martha's answer was yes. What about your answer? Because there is no halfway when it comes to the resurrection. You either believe the resurrection or you don't. You either believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the living son of God who came to this earth, walked a perfect life, and after 33 years willingly gave up his life to be crucified on a cross at Calvary for sins, taking your sin and my sin and allowing it to be applied to him as he was hanging on that that cross, that he was taken off a cross and put in a buried or in a borrowed tomb, placed there for three days, but on the third day rose from the grave, thus conquering sin and death. You either believe that or you don't. Jesus said it like this to people. He said, you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. You see, the resurrection brings us to a crisis of belief because it makes us choose. Do we choose to believe or do we choose to ignore? Do we choose to believe and trust he is who he said he is, that he could do what he said he was going to do, that he did what he said he was going to do? 
or do we choose to reject it as nonsense? That question can only be answered in your life by one person, and that's yourself. It doesn't matter what your parents believe, students, adults. It doesn't matter what your spouse believes. It doesn't matter what your children believe. It doesn't matter what your grandparents believe. It doesn't even matter what your pastor believes or your Sunday school teacher believes. It only matters what you believe. And you either believe it or you reject it, but there is no halfway. Because if you truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead, it will change your life. There's no way to encounter a risen Savior and not be utterly transformed in your life. See, there are a lot of people that admire Jesus and they, well, yeah, I can take him or leave him. Uh, most of the days I can take him. Uh, some days I could leave him. They're kind of wish-washy, really. But you ask them if they're a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. To meet a resurrected Savior would change you. It will change you. If Jesus Christ walked into this room right now physically and appeared to this group of people, I guarantee you it would affect every one of you. But he did 2,000 years ago when he appeared to his disciples, to the women and to his disciples and to the two on the road to Emmaus and then to the, uh, to the disciples as they were in the upper room and then to the disciples in Galilee and then, and then to the over 500 Peter, uh, people that, that Paul talks about, Jesus did appear to them. And that testimony has been carried forth for over 2,000 years by the church. Asking people the same question. Here's the evidence. Here's the story. Do you believe? The answer to that is totally up to you. 